Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Well, welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. Yeah. Um, we need to get stickers made. Yeah, we do. Well, there's that company that... Um, Missional Wear? Yeah, Missional Wear. Yeah. So. so for you, it's, it's only been a week because we posted last week, uh, but for us, it's been a while. I think we did it in December, didn't we? December 19th. And today's February 1st. <laughs> um, so part of that is my fault. Part? Oh, I guess all of it. Okay. Yeah, because we went to visit family, and in the rush to pack, I had my computer bag set out ready to go, so I wouldn't forget it. It's one of the last things you put on top, except for it never got put on top. So then we had a scramble. So you you got the benefit of some holiday messages from the two of us as as we tried to keep our you know offerings on a weekly basis. But so that delayed um, some of our pre recorded podcasts getting out. So now this is later than normal, which is fine. Yeah. Um, hopefully the audio issues that we've been plagued with are solved. If you're watching the video, you can. Yeah. See that we have a little more hardware with us this time. Yeah, so our faces are being covered up by these large microphones. So double upgrade. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a win-win. That's right. <laughs> um, and um, if you're also watching the video, you already know this, but if you're not, uh, one of us is in some jazzed-up attire, and the other one is jealous of that jazzed-up attire. You know, I, I actually was awarded this hoodie for my attendance at a CrossFit gym that I attended. So I can see why you'd be jealous of it. Yeah, that's not what I was talking about. So I'm in a full Patriot uh, regalia. Mm. Um, I have Patriot socks on, Patriot hat, and a Patriot jersey for Nate Solder. How about boxers? Don't have Patriot boxers, but that's you not know, a that's real on, fan. Then that's not that's it's on the list. So, oh. <laughs> it, so if you want to send me some Patriot boxers, I'll, I guess I'll take them. I don't. <laughs> I'll let um, you handle that, or, yeah. or maybe Jill. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but the the good thing about for all of our listeners, I, I find there are a few Patriot neutral folks out there. They just don't, eh, they don't care or they don't care about the NFL at all. But most of the people who care about the NFL, they're not Patriot neutral. They're either. So they're rational. Um, well, I mean, by neutral, I mean, they don't, they don't care one way or the other. So I, I think there's very few that are, that don't care. And then everyone else falls into either Patriot Patriots mm-hmm. or Patriot haters. The rational group. Well, it depends on your point of view. So. For all of you viewers out there, you know, if you find yourself to be a, a patriot, patriot, then that's me. You, you, we, this show, I'm, I'm repping that crowd, and uh, Mike is is repping the patriot haters. The I'm really kind of in the neutral crowd. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't like Tom Brady, and you know why? And yes, well, I mean because because he, he, he badmouthed my team, my real team, <laughs> which is. In the only real college or the only real football, which is college football, especially the SEC. So, yeah, so. That, that's actually where football peaks and then it goes back downhill in the uh, pros. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, um, 
Enough about personal stuff. I, I think it's enough about personal stuff. Unless yeah, and if any of y'all are taking any of this part seriously, <laughs> uh, please don't. Yeah. Um, although, so you can tell, I, this is, you know, we're recording Super Bowl Eve Eve. So we don't know the outcome of the Super Bowl, but you're listening and you'll know either I'm crying, you know, the, right now, or I'm continuing my celebration um, I just posted a, a, this is really getting off topic, but I just posted a, a, a video to YouTube. You should, uh, not YouTube, Facebook. You should, you should check it out. Um, cause I actually, you know, lots of times you re, re people repost stuff. Mm -hmm. This one I actually edited myself. Huh. So I got a bunch of comments of naysayers during the beginning in the middle of the season. And then I spliced together the major parts of the, the overtime, uh, drive and, and put a little bit of Celine Dion underneath it. I mean, in it, in really, really, <laughs> Celine is your go-to. Well, because if you've ever watched, there's a lot of sports things that you know that the climax and the end of My Heart Will Go On. A lot of sports things get put to that, and it's it is kind of emotional because it it gets you in the feel. So if you watch it, you will cry. If you're a Patriots lover, you'll watch it because it'll move you to good tears. And if you're a Patriot hater, it'll move you to tears of sadness as, as you know, Celine sings and um, we make that touchdown at the end and there's celebration. So, And since I'm Patriot neutral, I'll just cry because you spent your time editing that video and not sending me the notes for this podcast. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> just so we're clear. Yeah. yeah. All right, so... This podcast, so we're, we're about six minutes in. Yep, we should and probably completely wasted. The, we, yeah, we should probably start the podcast proper. But you know, a little, a little humanity. What's our topic for this evening? Yeah, the topic for this evening. We're continuing our discussion on our bigger, broader discussion on the doctrines of soteriology, the doctrines of grace. Some might call it Calvinism. We've kind of talked about that, and we specifically walking through the letters in Tulip. Right. Yeah. And, um, cause we like to play with flowers. Yeah. When you say that, I was listening to that on our last podcast. Yeah. People may not, uh, that's a reference to, I think it's evangelical com had an article on a refutation and I'm doing air quotes for the podcast, a refutation of Calvinism, the facts of Arminianism where they had an acrostic F A C T S that was almost a point for point, but in a different order refutation. So they said of the five points of Calvinism or Tulip. And uh, one of the quotes in that article was that Arminians prefer the facts, but Calvinists just like to play with flowers, which is one, not a very compelling argument. And two, it's a little ironic to me because one of the leading Arminian voices today is Leighton Flowers. Yeah. And so I, there, there seems like there's some kind of a pun or irony or joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I don't find it funny. So yeah, I actually find that rather childish. Yeah. So that's why I'm going to pick on it right, every right. time. But now our audience will know why you're saying we like to play okay, flowers. Yeah. So if you yeah. missed that or didn't understand it last time I made yeah. that joke, now you can have a hearty laugh <laughs> like that. All right, so um, last time we talked, uh, we kind of did an intro about election. I I still like us. Uh, so last time we talked, we also mentioned the debate between Leighton Flowers and James White, mm -hmm. and um, they did it specifically over Romans nine, which is a passage we're going to look at. Ironically, um, 
Mr. Flowers didn't actually stay in Romans 9 very much. Right. But he, he skipped all around and went like in reverse order. And But, but I find it, I, I just can't get my mind wrapped around how they deal with the words election hmm. and everywhere we find them because election just means someone is choosing something. And if person A elects person B, the decision rests in person A. Unless person A is choosing person B because of a quality that's in person B and not person C, in which case the determinative factor is in person B for the choice made by person A. Yeah, and that hopefully you've, hopefully followed that. And at one one way, I can say yes that we still do believe that. So, like we talked last time, God's choice of people isn't random or capricious. We don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's to further His uh, glory ultimately, but His plan for how He wants to um, proceed and that's his sovereign plan. We don't know that. So we're not saying that there's, you know, like this coin toss that God does. And then he chooses person B, he chooses person B. He could choose person B over person C for his own purposes. So whatever that happens to be. And I think he does. Right. Yeah. But what the other people will say is that the reason he chooses them is because that person the reason person A chooses person B is because person B has chosen person A. It, he's just reciprocating that choice. Or <clears throat> I've heard it nuanced a little, and I, I don't know that it has really that much of a different outcome. But I've, you know, I've heard things like God chooses people because he foresees, he looks down the corridors of time, which I've still not found in scripture, but he looks down the corridors of time and he foresees that a certain person when offered the gospel will respond and chooses them based on that. So that, um, is it the same thing or is it a little different? I don't know, but it, it seems to be that his choice is really not based in him, that, that he's kind of elected a plan and then he elects the individuals who will respond positively to his plan, um, which to me means really you're electing the plan. And I have heard some people say that, that he's elected a plan and that he's elected that there will be those who are saved, but the actual identity of the individuals in that group. So, so it's a group election. Um, I, I just think it makes mincemeat out of the passages that actually deal with this. Um, you know, being foreknown in Christ before the foundation of the world, all of the passages that we talked about with limited atonement and Christ and his sheep and the, you know, my sheep know my voice and, um, just all of the choice that we see God making throughout scripture and the consistent narrative in scripture of the radical fallenness and the inability of man and that man left to his own devices runs away from God, hates God, is at enmity with God. And so I, I think there's nuances there, but I just, I, I just can't. Yeah. I don't think you can hold of that view and faithfully exegete the scriptures that talk about God's choosing of his people. Um, because I think they're clear, unequivocal, 
um, that he chose us. We're, we're the direct object in um, those sentences. Mm-hmm. Now, like Ephesians says, he chose us in him, in the him is Christ. That's a preposition, He but he wasn't choosing Christ. He was choosing us. We're yeah. the direct object. So. Right. All right. So, um, so we talked last time about uh, the John passage where um, he gave the right uh, to those to be children of God who were born uh, not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of uh, man, but of God or but of the will of God. Um, so this time we want to move on to Romans 9. And I thought if you listen to the debate, we put it in the 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 descriptions of both the podcast and the video cast. I thought um, James's lead up into Romans nine from Romans eight was really good. Um, Cause I think we just naturally being humans, we, we get these large chops in our text and we go, Oh, okay. New chapter, new subject, new everything. But really Romans eight is the, the precursor to Romans nine. And we have Romans 8 saying that um, both Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, intercede for us. And um, we have that this promise that everything will work for our good, for those who love God, so those who are according to his purpose. Just for a second, since we are kind of seeing chapter 8 as the on-ramp to chapter 9, so right. to speak. And I know it doesn't necessarily apply directly to unconditional election. But if you go back earlier in chapter 8, um, I, I think this helps set the scene. Because in, in, I think it's helpful to break down the five points of Calvinism into tulip and and deal with them but really it's just five different aspects of one holistic plan of god and how he moves in salvation it, it kind of isolates different things but they're really not separable so you would say we're looking at the same flower but different petals on that flower absolutely <laughs> yeah definitely definitely um and and earlier in Romans chapter eight, be, and, and uh, so how does this tie in? This ties in because I was watching some videos on YouTube trying to get some refutations of Calvinism, some Arminian or traditionalist or non-Calvinist perspectives. And I think I'm just going to go with Sproul and call them all semi-Pelagians and be done with it because I'm tired of pe- calling people an Arminian. They're like, I'm not an Arminian. I just believe everything that Arminians say, but I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. We like, have some Calvinists on that might do that too. I'm not a Calvinist because they object to the name, but go right, ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he's uh, Leighton Flowers. It's on his um, podcast, um, which I believe is ironically called Soteriology 101, but I digress. Anyway, he's reviewing uh, a video by R.C. Sproul that's talking about um, kind of election. It, it's more general. I, I was trying to find stuff about election specifically, but this was just more about the doctrines of grace. And um, he, he basically was making the argument that Calvinists say that you can't recognize that you're in bondage to sin until God has freed you from that sin. And I think there's some nuance there. And, and I might say yes, or I might say no, depending on exactly which point you're pressing there. But um, he says, absolutely, you can't fix yourself, but you can recognize your need for a savior in the fallen state that that's innate in us as humans. Um, which made me think of Romans chapter eight. Mm-hmm. And again, not directly tied to unconditional election, but 
in 8.6, it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So here, Paul is very clearly laying out two categories of people, flesh and spirit. Those who are in the flesh are unbelievers because they don't have the spirit dwelling in them. Those who are in the spirit are believers because they do have the spirit dwelling in them. Okay. I don't see any middle ground. I don't see any other categories of people. And it says that those who are in the flesh have a mind that is set on the flesh, that is hostile to God, that does not submit to God's law and indeed cannot. Last time I checked, confessing that we are sinners is actually something that God commands us to do. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that we have this innate ability to recognize our lost and sinful condition and to, and to cry out for help and to accept that help when it's offered to us, that idea just goes contrary to explicit teaching right here. Yeah, I agree. And and I would push it even one step further, even if, well, I, I agree with everything you said, but even if we grant to Leighton Flowers that the fallen man could recognize that he is in a fallen state, nothing in scripture says that then they will then turn to God. Yes. The, I mean, they, they hostile to God. We're, yeah, they're hostile to God. They, they are slaves to sin. They hate God. They are enemies of God. And it's only through God's grace and mercy that he starts, you know, pulling and, you know, however, however God accomplishes that, um, we, you know, we might disagree on how he does it, but we know that he draws us to himself and opens our eyes, softens our heart, gives us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. All of those things go into not only us recognizing that we need him, that, oh man, I'm in a fallen state, but then loving him and wanting to submit to him and, and no real recognizing that he is the greatest good. Um, and we want to be ordered underneath him and, and follow his principles. Do we do that perfectly? No, because we still have the flesh at some level with us. But, um, when we have the spirit, we're, we're not, um, just slaves to sin. Now we're, if we do what we're supposed to do, we're slaves to the spirit. So, so, I mean, I, I think, at the start of chapter eight, Paul is crystal clear that in our natural state, which I think he also lays out in, you know, say Ephesians two, we are at enmity with God. We do not. And in fact, cannot submit to God's law. And part of God's law is confess that you're a sinner, repent of your sins, place your faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. So specifically what Arminians are claiming, we have the innate capability of doing because we're free moral agents and all of the arguments that they give, Paul explicitly contradicts that right. in the start of Romans chapter eight. And then I would agree with you towards the end, he starts talking about the golden chain of redemption and all the things that God does for his children. Mm -hmm. And that leads into chapter nine, which is then an expression of how does this happen? Right. Right. G give us a little more detail on the election, which is what takes place in time prior to all of the other pieces. 
Right. That the foreknowledge from chapter eight then becomes the election in chapter nine. Right. I, I agree. Uh, so let's read through um, these Sorry, verses. It, I, I didn't mean for that digression, but a lot of the times the, the refutations that I heard of unconditional election ended up bleeding over into really objections against total depravity or limited atonement. Well, yeah, I, I think I agree with. So I, I say I agree with because just I don't want to take the credit. I'm not trying to name drop, um, but R.C. Sproul said, and I agree with him, that when he, and I think I mentioned this last time, but when he would teach total depravity or total inability, and then everyone would shake their head, yeah, I agree with that. And then the next night or the next class, he would teach on unconditional election. People were upset by it. And they, you know, wanted people to, he's like, okay, if you're upset by this, then you didn't really understand total depravity. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Because if we, which is why I wanted to start there. (laughs) Well, we, we did start there in a roundabout way. We started there second. (laughs) You might be using a different dictionary than me. Um, So let's. I think maybe in this first episode, because we got about 10 minutes left in this first episode, we can lay a, a firm foundation um, for Romans 9, talk about 8, and then in uh, the next episode, get into 9 proper. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to read through. Um, I was going to start in verse 26, unless you wanted thought we should start earlier than that. Just reading through. Oh, of chapter eight? Yeah. Chapter yeah, that's eight. I was like, no, that's pretty far into nine. <laughs> There's some stuff before that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, chapter eight says, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. So he's talking about believers here. That's the R. That's the we. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's so I take comfort in that. Um, and he ser- he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want to stop here and give, you know, a an aside here, a pastorism. If that's all of this section, you know, you probably have a bad idea of what this verse is trying to, to mean. Um, it doesn't mean that something bad happened to you. Like say you lost your job and God's purpose in that is to give you a better job or you got in an accident and God's purpose is through that accident to give you a better car. I'm not saying God cannot do those things and often God is merciful to us, but that's not the, the good that is, that we have in mind. So, um, you know, if you're a follower of Greg Kokel, you already know his saying, never read a Bible verse. So if you want to know what a Bible verse means, you have to read at least, you know, the, the paragraph in which it's found. And sometimes the whole chapter, sometimes chapters before and after, if you want to know what, you know, it means in second Chronicles, if my people will humble <laughs> themselves, America, it's, it's not talking about America there, it's but not, you sure? Yeah. But, the, the actual antecedent of that actually comes like a couple chapters before because or no, we're really far off. But, you know, Solomon's dedicating the temple. He prays this prayer. There's some things that happen. And then that night, God answers that prayer. And it's like some chapters removed. So you got to kind of read the whole story and go, oh, God's answering this specific prayer from Solomon. So just if you want to know what the Bible says, just read, read it. all of it. Read all of it. And uh, 
and think about it as as a letter, which is what um, most of these are, at least in the New Testament. All right, so what is the object of our good? Um, he goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Brethren, that's the good. Ultimately, we are conformed to the image of his son, which is, I'm looking forward to that. There's a lot, going to be a lot of transformation in my life. Um, all right, so here's the golden chain of redemption. And those whom he predestined, so that was a long time ago, if, you know, for us. No, no time ago for God since he's timeless. But right. uh, for those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. There we go. Start to finish, there's a set of people that God um, predestined, called. Foreknew. Foreknew, predestined, called, um, justified, and ultimately we're going to be glorified. And in his mind, we're we're already wrapped in his righteousness. Mm -hmm. We don't experience that right now. All right. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is also interceding for us or who also intercedes for us. So um, we have the spirit praying for us. We have the father working all this stuff for us. We have Christ um, interceding for us. There is Trinitarian harmony in the atonement. Trinitarian harmony in the atonement. Uh, God is not working against himself. Uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are working together to bring about our salvation. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are all being put to death all day long. Let me read that again. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What what can we say to that? I mean, this this would play into perseverance of the saints. Uh, oh, in, yeah, in absolutely. Future. Yeah. Nothing, not even ourselves, not even anyone. Um, those and irresistible grace. Yeah. Because those who God sets his eyes on he will capture he will pursue to the uttermost yeah i mean you'll notice in verses 29 and 30 um we factor in there only as passive participants all of the activity is done by god mm -hmm. he foreknew us he predestined us he calls us he justifies us he glorifies us we are always the direct object of active verbs mm -hmm. and those are god god's doing it yeah all right. Um, so then what's chapter nine? Well, I mean, what's the natural, if, if Paul is talking as a Jew to a mixed audience who knows that Paul is being persecuted by Israel mm -hmm. or Jews, mm -hmm. you've got to, I mean, this, this flows together, you know, immediately people are going to go, but Paul, what are you talking about? Cause God elected Israel and yet look at how many of them have rejected God's Messiah. 
What's up with that? Yeah, so Paul needs to address this shift in how God is dealing with the world. And how what he just said can be true in spite of the fact that the majority of ethnic Israel has repudiated their own Messiah and therefore are outside of these promises. Right. Um, So just as James White said, obviously there is some national things going on in verse in chapter nine and are going to lead up to more national things in chapter 10. Um, But it's still talking about the individual salvation of those people that are either ethnically Jews or Gentiles. Right. And, and we have to remember, it's not just Romans eight that has come before nine. It's right. one and two and three. And I mean, if you go back and read chapters one through nine in one sitting, I think it's pretty clear that um, Paul has already laid the groundwork for dealing with ethnic Israel and ethnic Gentiles and saying, yes, there are some superficial differences. Yes, yes, the Jews were given the oracles of God, um, but it makes no difference. God shows no partiality. All are under sin, and Christ is the remedy, the same for the Jew as he is for the Gentile. And so by the time you get here, I think he only goes back to deal with Israel, not because there's some national or corporate election or judicial hardening or anything, but some people might say, okay, I get what you're saying now, but they're still God's elect people, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're still the ones to whom the promises were given, right? So, so how can these ethnic Jews, how can ethnic Israel be cast out? And, you know, to use terminology from Ephesians 2, they're now treated like Gentiles who are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They, they are the ones that are now separated and far away from the promises. So how does that work? How, how, how can God be faithful and yet it looks on the surface, at least, like these promises that were made to this group of people are failing. Right. Yeah. And I would just add to that whole, what you said is Romans as a whole is a very good treatise on salvation. And Galatians is also a good treatise on salvation. Both of those epistles by Paul talk about different aspects of salvation, but the whole thrust of them I mean, there's some practical stuff at the end of both of them, but the theological side of those two books um, mainly deals with salvation mm-hmm. and our, our calling. Um, so maybe you can read the verses in chapter nine that kind of lead up to the uh, Jacob I have loved, Esau I've hated, and then we'll start with that on the, in the next episode, the Jacob and Esau saga. All right, I'll read. Uh, I'll just keep going. Start at verse one. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I struggle with that verse. I got I mean, I don't struggle that Paul wrote it. I don't struggle that the Holy Spirit inspired it. But I struggle with somebody saying, I would give up my salvation for somebody else. I will give up almost anything to help people that I love, but th- that that's just a category that I've never been able to fully grasp. Yeah, I've thought about that too. Um, so there's a couple things going on. So there's that that you're mentioning, and I also want to because in this, Leighton said, "Well, what does does Paul love the unfallen 
person or the unelected, uncalled person more than God does? Because Paul says he would give up his salvation for it. I, I think what Paul is expressing here is a universal love and the fact that if he could, just like Christ gave himself up for the world, but he didn't lose his relationship with the Father. That's how I make sense of this. Paul saying, he, you know, if I could take some punishment for you so that you could be part of it, I would. Mm. I don't take it to mean that, well, that's how I think that he's thinking. Um, so, so I wish I myself could be accursed, separated from Christ. Yeah, maybe he just means temporarily separated. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Uh, um, but I, I, I think it just maybe shows... Maybe he's hyperbolic there. I don't know, but Yeah, it's... the depth of his anguish for his people. Mm, yeah. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And going back to your favorite book in the Bible, Galatians, it says that we indeed are sons of Abraham if we share in a faith like his. Right. Verse 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Ishmael was born of the flesh of Abraham and was cast out. Again, Galatians. Right. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac... Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. By the way, um, I'm actually comfortable with hated meaning hated rather than what I hear so frequently, which is like, well, it's only hated in comparison to how much he loved Jacob. And I'm thinking, well, no, it seems to say the word for hate there. It may not mean the same thing as human hate, but right. I just hate that. I hate it when we read through some verse and the first thing that said is, here's what it doesn't mean. Right. It's almost as though we feel like we want to tone down God. No, well, yeah. God didn't really mean that. Yeah, when I'm making excuses for God, <laughs> I've probably stepped out of bounds. Yeah. I mean, obviously we want to properly understand scripture and sometimes things get misinterpreted like slave doesn't mean the same thing as we all think of. Mm -hmm. um, there needs to be some toning down because our mental picture is 19th century America, which is not how it was in the Old Testament. And even as bad as it was in Rome, it's not how it was. That's an aside, but right. So there are times we need to talk through it, but this is, there's multiple times where God talks about hating sinners and hating sin. Esau was a sinner. He, um, despised his birthright. Um, he, you know, didn't, you know, support what was going on with Jacob. So he, he hated him. And, and for all I know, he's not a believer. He wasn't in Abraham. So I, 
you know, Leighton takes this to mean that there were certain people who were chosen to spread the gospel and some people weren't chosen to spread the gospel. Yep. And so this just means, this just indicates that Jacob was the one it was through Jacob's line and, uh, you know, uh, Isaac's line that, um, the gospel got spread. And that's why that there was concern because, Oh man, I wish I was the one appointed to spread the gospel. That's not what he's talking about. Um, th- there is this lineage of, um, Christ that we're talking about here. Um, but it's, at, you know, who's actually a part of Israel because right above that, Paul says, not everyone who is Israel is Israel. It's those who believed, um, who are Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, any closing thoughts on episode two of unconditional election? So we'll pick up there on episode three of unconditional election. Um, the only thing I would say is this is a really good kind of breaking point because if I understand Paul's argument and flow of thought here, he breaks there and then comes back with what he anticipates as the objection to what he has just said. Right. And I would argue if you find yourself agreeing with the hypothetical objector that Paul raises up, perhaps you ought to rethink your argument. And so we'll get into that next time. But um, I I really appreciate how Paul is pulling up these hypothetical arguments in order to kind of interact with his own material and say, here's what I mean. Here's not, here's what I, you know, here's this, not this, this, not this. Right. Another way to say what you said, which how you said may be difficult for folks to follow, but if your interpretation of what Paul says in verses one through 13 doesn't sort of naturally raise the question that Paul himself is, is raising. Like if, if how you interpret those verses doesn't lend itself to someone saying, wow, that seems like it might be unfair. Then maybe you don't have the right interpretation of those because that's, so you're saying if you go to an unbeliever and explain Romans 9, 1 through 13, you would expect them to respond with what verse 14 says. Yes. And if your interpretation doesn't elicit that response from natural people, then... You may per- have you may have the wrong interpretation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in and uh, catch us next week for our next episode, although we're going to sit here and record it. <laughs> Shh, don't tell don't them that. that. Okay. All right. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.